Welcome again uh, to the guests who have joined us today. Glad that you're here worshiping with us. Let's, let's pray as we turn our attention to God's word this morning. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for the privilege of being able to worship you this morning, to be able to sing truth and be encouraged. Lord, we thank you that we get to hear your word. And now, uh, as we turn to uh, your word, um, we ask and pray that your spirit would be at work to, to strengthen us, to grow and build each one of us individually, but also together as the church. Lord, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit this morning, knowing that no good will come apart from your work. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been working our way through the book of First Peter, and the, the letter is written, Peter is writing uh, to Christians who are suffering for their faith. He wants to encourage them and equip them. How do I live my faith in a hostile world? And this theme that he's been coming back to is living hopeful and holy in a hostile world. How do I live holy in a culture that is unholy? How do I maintain my hope when everything around me seems hopeless? And today, we're going to look at how hospitality plays into that. Now, a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about Renee, the Duchess of Ferrara, and how her home was called the Hotel of the Lord uh, by French Protestant Christians, the Huguenots, because she was so well known for her hospitality. And since Reformation Sunday is coming up, uh, next week, I thought it would be fun to do another brief biographical sketch this morning of another reformer, but this time uh, Heinrich Bullinger and his wife Anna. Heinrich Bullinger uh, was one of the most influential of reformers, but he's not often talked about, so he's often called the forgotten reformer. Uh, Stephen Lawson says this about him. Uh, Bullinger's literary output exceeded that of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli combined. So far-reaching was Bullinger's influence throughout continental Europe and England that Theodore Beza, who was another reformer, said this about him. He called him the common shepherd of all Christian churches. So Heinrich married Anna, who was a nun, who was converted to the Reformed Christian faith by the preaching of Zwingli in Zurich. Now, when Zwingli dies in 1531, Heinrich Bullinger takes over for him. So if, if, if Zwingli lit the candle of the Reformation in Zurich, it was Bullinger who kept it from burning out and who fanned it into flame in that city. Uh, the Bullinger home is the very definition of a full house, they had 11 children together, which is totally awesome. But on top of that, uh, they also took care of Heinrich's parents until they died. When Swingley died, they welcomed his wife, his widowed wife, and their two children to live with them as well. And on top of that, uh, Heinrich was always inviting interns and students that he was training in the ministry to come and live with them at the same time. But they weren't a wealthy family, and so it took wisdom and skill and economy from Anna to be able to care for all of these people. But their hospitality didn't end there either. 
they also welcomed refugees throughout their married life from all over Europe. They welcomed refugees from Italy, southern Switzerland, Germany, England. See, at this time, there was so much persecution. There were so many refugees. And Zurich became a place where many of these Protestant Christians were fleeing to. And the Bullingers led the way by example in showing hospitality. Uh, the author, Rebecca Van Dudeward, notes that their care for English Protestants was so well known that Queen Elizabeth sent them a gift as an expression of her thanks for their hospitality. They also welcomed many guests, prominent noblemen, uh, but people that you would know, like John Calvin, William Farrell, Martin Booser, John Knox, who Bullinger trained. Anna teamed up with other Christian women to care for the poor in Zurich, providing for their basic needs, food, clothing, drink, and so forth. In fact, her hospitality was so well known that Anna became known as the Zurich Mother. She was faithful wife. In 1564, when her beloved husband got the plague, she faithfully took care of him and nursed him back to health, but in the process got sick and died herself. She's a faithful wife, faithful mother, faithful servant of Jesus Christ. She used her home to minister widely to her family, to fellow Christians, and to all. Now, of course, they were imperfect Christians just like we are. Amen? I'm sure that there were times that they struggled as a couple, that they argued, that they grew weary, that they grumbled about all the hospitality that they were providing. But they're still an example for us. These and other reformers and their wives practiced hospitality. They had to. They had to. With so much persecution and so many Christians fleeing, they needed hospitality to care for and encourage one another in the faith. See, when Christians face opposition or persecution to their faith, one of the things that they need most is hospitality. That goes far beyond a hot meal and a place to sleep. We need, we need comfort and healing after we sustain wounds for living for Jesus Christ. People lose jobs, they lose rep reputation, they lose their family, they lose their home. Hospitality is essential for us to find support and refreshment in the midst of a wearying world. We have that kind of community at, at GFC, and I, I love that about our church. And we need to continue to strengthen that as a church because it's one of the essential strategies for living faithfully for Christ in a hostile world. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 11, even though I'm only going to be preaching on verse 9 today. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Follow along as I read our text for today. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies." in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
We're just focusing in on verse 9 today. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And since we're just looking at one verse, the context is even more important. Why? Because context is king. Say it again. Context is king. Absolutely. If you're going to understand a text, context is the most important thing. Peter writes to encourage and equip Christians how to live in a world that's hostile to their faith. That's what we've been talking about. That's the broad context of the letter of 1 Peter. Pastor Jonathan set up the immediate context last week. Peter reminds us that the end of all things is at hand, and so we need to live in light of Jesus' return. Christ's return should impact how we live, especially in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so Peter makes four applications. We saw the first two last week. Be sober-minded in prayer, love one another. Third, show one another hospitality. And four, serve one another with your gifts. Today we're just going to look at number three. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality in a hostile world. We're going to unpack our text and then we're going to apply it in two directions. Hospitality to believers and to unbelievers. But we're going to focus on the first one, showing it to believers. So... Let's dive in. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to Christians, to other Christians. The first thing that we want to notice is that this is a command. It's not a suggestion. Hospitality is not optional for disciples. All Christians are to show hospitality. Now, I know that we're all busy, and I also know that that's not going to change. So what that means is is that we have got to set aside space in our calendar for regular hospitality and then start sending out some invitations. Peter's focus is showing hospitality to one another. This is to fellow Christians. That's the thrust of the text in its context, and that's going to be where we spend the vast majority of our time today because of that. But I'm going to briefly touch on hospitality to non-believers at the end. So what is hospitality? Hospitality, biblical hospitality, is just using your home for ministry, using your home to build the church, to make disciples. It's asking these kinds of questions. How can I use my home to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ? Or if they're already a Christian, how can I use my home to build them up in the faith? How can I use my home to minister to this person physically, emotionally, spiritually? That's the question that we're asking. Hospitality is not about making your house look Pinterest perfect or serving the most gourmet food. It's about ministry. This is something that every one of us can do no matter how big our home is or how good our cooking is. Okay, to be fair, the food should be edible. (laughs) And if you can't cook, you can always order pizza. There's no shame in that because it's not about the food. It's about the relationships and the ministry that happens in your home. Hospitality is a reflection of the heart of God. God told Israel to welcome strangers with loving hospitality because that's what he did for them. We just saw that in Deuteronomy 10. It says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in Egypt. In other words, love and welcome strangers 
because I loved and welcomed you. That's my heart, and I want that to be your heart too. And the same thing is true in the New Testament. Without Jesus Christ, apart from Christ, we are all strangers, sojourners, aliens from God. We're separated from Him. We're without God, without hope. But for anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ to save them, they are forgiven, they have eternal life. And Paul says this, he says, you're no longer a stranger. You're a fellow citizen and you're a member of the household of God. God makes you a part of his own family. Through Jesus, God welcomes us into his household, makes us his beloved child. Now, Peter's been reminding us in this letter that we're sojourners, we're strangers on this earth, we're exiles. Yet he's also been telling us that God has welcomed you. He's made you his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his people for his own possession. God has welcomed you, and he's been telling us over and over to love one another with a brotherly love because we're all part of the same family. You see, we welcome each other because we have been welcomed by God. I want you to notice that the command to show hospitality is sandwiched between the commands to love one another earnestly and the command to serve one another with your spiritual gifts. That means a few things for hospitality. First, hospitality is a concrete expression of Christian love. Second, hospitality is about ministering to each other. Our homes provide a place for us to use our spiritual gifts to serve each other. And that means, third, that we practice hospitality in the strength that the Spirit provides. We don't do this on our own strength. That way, we don't grow weary or burn out. Now, taken all together, it means that hospitality is essential for the ministry of the body building itself up in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. But God wants us to be a certain kind of person. Look what it says. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, without complaining. The word grumbling describes muttering under our breath. Why do you People got to come over to my house tonight. I can't believe so much work. I'd rather just watch the game. I just want to watch a movie. I don't want people coming over all the time. Right? That's grumbling. Don't do that. <laughs> God wants us to be the kind of people that are glad to show hospitality, who are glad to serve people in this way. In this command, just like everything else, God's after your heart, our heart. He wants us to be a certain kind of person. He wants us to show hospitality with a willing and cheerful heart. Man, we need that reminder, don't we? Amen? Am I the only one that's invited people over to their home and then like an hour before they show up and we're trying to get everything ready and we're all stressed out and we're trying to clean and cook and everything is, it's all this work and we're like, oh my goodness, what are we, right? Is that just me? Thank you. <laughs> God wants us to show hospitality gladly. But as I was thinking about this week, looking at the broader context of the letter, I think there's more to this than just being glad to have people over for dinner. I don't think when Peter says show hospitality without grumbling, he just means don't complain about having people over for dinner. Certainly that is part of it, but that is not all of it. I think it includes significant and sacrificial ministry to hurting Christians. You could imagine with me for a moment the kind of hospitality that it would take 
uh, to take in fellow Christians that had to flee persecution in another part of the Roman Empire. Where would they go? In the first century, inns were few and far between, and most, most of the time they were dangerous places. Where would they go? If a Christian showed up, they would need a place to stay for a while, and maybe a long while. They didn't have Motel 6. I think the point is that we're to be glad to show hospitality even at that level. The kind of hospitality that would adopt a child or do foster care or welcome refugees or take in a woman in crisis or take care of widows and and aging parents. Even at that level, don't complain even if it's costly. Like it was for Jason in Thessalonica as we read just a few moments ago. Why does Peter include the command to show hospitality here at this point in his letter? Why why is hospitality so important? Let me suggest it's because hospitality is essential for strengthening the saints in a hostile world, helping provide for their needs, providing encouragement to remain hopeful, to persevere faithfully. As persecution increases, so does the need to practice hospitality. Let me try to illustrate the importance of of hospitality in a hostile world. Um, I need a young man to come volunteer. Cole, I was wondering if I could ask you, brother, since you're right up by the front. Is that okay? Thanks. He's never going to sit in the front again. All right, so what I want you to do, uh, come stand over here so that we're not right in the middle of the thing. I want you to hold your arm out like this. Yeah, perfect. And I'm going to give you this brick to hold. And uh, this, this brick represents uh, some of the, the weight, the weight that we bear as being faithful Christians, right? So this one has the word trial written on it. You can imagine with me for a moment, this would include things maybe like losing your job because you stood firm in the faith and you refused to compromise your convictions. Or maybe it, 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 it could be something like uh, people making fun of you, right? You're getting made fun of because of your faith. But it would also include um, all of the faithful service that we give to Jesus Christ, right? All of the sacrifices and all of the labor that we put in. Uh, you got that, brother? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that we put into following Jesus. So this is like sharing our faith, uh, speaking the truth. You're doing great. Um, Right? So making disciples, uh, loving, serving, leading your future wife someday. But there's more to it, right? Because we also as Christians live in a world, right, where we are tempted. We are tempted to to sin, we face all kinds... Go ahead, use, use both arms. That's fine. All right, can someone support this poor man? Can someone, like, you know, give him some support? Please. No? <laughs> Nobody will help this poor, beleaguered Christian? Thank you, brothers, both of you, thank you. Is that better, Cole? Yes, much better. Much better. <laughs> so all kinds of things that we face in the Christian life. 
the point is, is that you cannot live the Christian life alone. Sure, we can bear the weight for a short time on our own, but the Christian faith isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And we need one another. See, we can help each other, we can help each other lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run the race with perseverance, as it says in, in Hebrews, right? We can come alongside of each other and we can help bear one another's burdens, as it talks about in Galatians chapter 6, so that what was impossible alone is possible together in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to have the depth of relationship, right? It, it didn't work. When I said, would someone come and support him, at first nobody moved. You can't support Cole from your seats. It took these two guys getting up and getting near enough to him, close enough to him, that they could actually bear his burdens. That's the point of hospitality. It allows us to get close enough in each other's lives that we know what's going on and we can help bear each other's burdens. You guys can go sit down. Give them a round of applause. Way to go. Thank you. Now I want you to imagine with me for a moment that Cole was holding a bucket full to the brim with sewage water. Get that picture in your mind. Full right up to the brim. Disgusting. Smelly. You'd probably get some of it on you trying to help him out. Often when we help other people, we find out that it's messy business. It's hard. It's dirty. Sometimes it stinks. It's costly. That's why Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the point I want to make is this. Bearing the weight of living our faith is not just easier together. It's only possible together. But hospitality is for far more than just bearing each other's burdens. Our homes are a place of celebration and worship where we can make music to the Lord together. It's a place to laugh and tell stories and play games and feast together. It's a place where hearts of disciples are deeply connected and continually refreshed, a place where we can give and receive a taste of Christ's love and grace, a place of sharpening and strengthening for battle, a place of encouragement and accountability, a place of solidarity with other believers who are striving to remain faithful in a chaotic world, all of which is so necessary if we're going to persevere in the faith. That is why showing hospitality is so important. It provides a place of rest and refreshment and encouragement and joy. Christian hospitality provides a, a haven in a hostile world. What's a haven? Webster 1828 gives two definitions. The literal is it's a, it's a harbor, it's a port, it's a, a bay or some kind of inlet from the sea which affords good anchorage and a safe station for ships. Any place that ships can be sheltered from the, by the land from the force of tempests and the violent sea. The second definition is figurative, and it's based on the first one. It's a shelter, an asylum, 
a safe place, a place of safety. Dear Christian, let me suggest that you are the ship tossed about by the tempests, the storms of life. How many of you have felt the wind and waves beating against your ship? The discouragements, the worry, the sorrow, the weariness, the temptations, the challenges of being faithful, the opposition. You're the storm-tossed ship. And hospitality, fellowship with other Christians in their home, that's the haven. It's the port in the storm. It's the place that affords good anchorage. (laughs) The place where you can be anchored once again in the rock, where you can be secured in the promises of Christ, steadied once more in his truth. Hospitality is a Christian haven where you find shelter from the storm, a place where you can find rest and refreshment, a place where you can make repairs and take on fresh supplies of living water and true bread and meat before you continue on your journey. That's what hospitality provides. I found this picture last night. I love that it says, a ship and harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. We don't stay in the haven forever because that's not what we're here for. But the havens are so necessary for us along the way. Amen? There are so many examples of, of faithful hospitality ministry throughout Christian history, but there are just dozens of examples right here in our own church. And I'm not going to name names. I know a family that invited uh, their family over who were sick with COVID so that they could take care of them. There are uh, scores of families who are opening up their homes regularly to host Stand and the College Fellowship and uh, equip groups and Bible studies and worship nights and the women's ministry and baptisms. And there are also families who are constantly opening up their homes just for small gatherings, to have people over for dinner, to encourage and strengthen them in their faith. There is so much ministry that happens in the homes of the people of GFC, and it's awesome. It is just wonderful. As I look at our church, this is one area where I have seen, been blessed to see significant growth in our church. And I want to say, well done. Well done. And press on. It's just just awesome. This ministry of hospitality is significant, and God is using it to build up the church. He is using you to build up the church. I just love our logo. I love how all of God's people are linked arm in arm with Christ in the center, but it's not just big people, it's big and little people, it's adults and children together. We talk often here at Gospel Fellowship Church about how your your first ministry, your most important ministry, is at home with your children. And that's so true. And hospitality ministry is part of how we disciple our kids. Because when we're practicing hospitality, when they grow up in a hospitable home, we're giving them the tools of hospitality. We're training them how to set the table and and clear the table and and welcome guests and make sure that the younger ones have toys so that they feel welcomed. And we're, we're teaching them how to serve other people and put other people first and how to ask good questions and to listen carefully and engage in conversation, but the most important thing that we're teaching them is we're giving them the heart. 
We're giving them the heart of hospitality and our homes. And many Christians think that in order to change the world, you've got to do something big. You've got to do something on a grand scale. But small acts of faithfulness can change the world. Even the mundane ministry of hospitality can change the world. When we use our home to carry out the mission of making disciples, we're doing our part to change the world, first with our children, then with our brothers and sisters, then with our neighbors and our, our friends. Ordinary does not mean insignificant. It might not be glitzy, but God is using it to fulfill his promise to build the church. Think about this. In a world that was largely hostile to their faith, the early church grew in homes. They, 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 they gathered together, they broke bread, they shared meals, they devoted themselves to prayer and to fellowship and to the apostles' teaching. Simple things that shook the world. It's amazing. God used the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He used ordinary disciples devoted to hospitality ministry to spread the gospel and build up the church in a hostile world. Isn't that exactly what we need today? That is exactly what we need today. So just want to mention, show hospitality to strangers. This is not in our text per se. It comes from Hebrews 13 too. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but the word hospitality itself means love of strangers, love of stranger. We love the stranger because God first loved us when we were a stranger. Brothers and sisters, we were the strangers who were welcomed. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8, and 10. Our hospitality is an extension. It's an overflow of God's hospitality to us. We've got the greatest message on the face of the planet. Brothers and sisters, apart from Jesus Christ, Humanity stands condemned under the wrath of a holy God because of their sin, because of their rejection of Him, their rebellion against Him, their running from Him. The result of that is eternal punishment forever in hell. Just imagine, have you ever burned your finger or stuck your arm in the oven and burned your arm? You know how that feels. Imagine with me for a moment that your entire body was burning and burning, but never burning up, just burning and burning forever. You understand that the good news doesn't make any sense. It's not good news unless you first understand the bad news. The good news is that God made a way in Jesus Christ to escape the wrath of God. He takes enemies and he makes them family. This is awesome. It's the greatest message. Nobody else in the world has this news, and this is what the world desperately needs to hear. Francis Schaeffer said this, do you really believe that people are going to hell? That's a great question, isn't it? Do you really believe that people are going to hell? And if you really believe that, how can you stand and say, I have never paid the price to open my living space and do the things that I can do? It comes from the church at the end of the 20th century. 
He and his wife, Edith, practiced hospitality at Labrie in Switzerland, using their home to advance the kingdom. I know a family in our church who's been very intentional about reaching out to some of their non-Christian neighbors, building relationship with them over time. So much so that when these neighbors had some serious family trouble, they asked this family for help, and they poured themselves out taking care of their kids so that the mom could continue working. They have welcomed this family into their life, into their activities, so that they could continue to share the truth with them, to share the love of Christ with them. It has not been easy for this family, but they have been so faithful in doing it. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean you have to go overseas and be that kind of missionary. What he means is every Christian is either about the mission of making disciples or they're an imposter. Use your home to make disciples, to share the gospel. Team up with other Christians. This is a great way for non-believers to see the love that we have for one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Hospitality is this huge, it's this huge open door opportunity for us as Christians right now in our culture. Because right now, people are less and less familiar with Christianity and more and more hostile to Christianity. And if we open up our homes and welcome these people, it gives them an opportunity over time, over time, for them to get to know Christians, to get to know the faith and Christ and his gospel. But we need to take the long view of making disciples. It took two years of hospitality before Rosaria Butterfield ever became a Christian and went to church. We need the long view. We need to not think about hospitality as an event, but as a way of life. This is how we live as Christians. Cultivate the discernment to know where people are at so that you can make them feel welcomed and cared for. One of the best things that you can do is ask questions, ask good questions, and then listen well. If you listen long enough, you're going to hear the brokenness in their life. You're going to hear where God and His Christ can speak into their life, whether they're a believer or a non-believer. You don't need a seminary degree to do this. Every single one of you in this room is equipped to welcome non-believers into your home, to show them what it looks like to have a, genu- a person who genuinely cares about them and who loves and follows Jesus Christ. Every one of us can open our home and practice hospitality. Our mission, like Jonathan said at GFC, is the mission that Christ gave to his church. It's to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That includes evangelism and discipleship. See, hospitality is about about using your home to accomplish this mission that Christ has given to us. Using your home to bring someone to faith, evangelism, or using your home to build someone up in the faith, discipleship. So steward your home for the glory of God. You see the purpose of hospitality and loving one another and serving one another? Look at verse 11. The, the purpose is that in everything God may be glorified, 1 Peter 4, 11. We're stewards. All that we have belongs to God. Your clothes, your time, your gifts, 
your resources, yes, even your homes. Those are gifts from God, and He calls you to steward them in His service. And our goal as stewards is faithfulness. So we need to ask the question, God, how can I best use these gifts that you have given to me to advance your kingdom? If you see yourself as a steward, you have to ask this question. Why does the master have me living in this place at this time, in this neighborhood, and this church? His planning isn't random. He has you here for a purpose. Ask him how he wants you to use your home for ministry. As pastors, we're going to keep calling you to practice hospitality to believers and to non-believers. Next week's Hospitality Sunday, this is an opportunity for you to put the truth into action. Who are you having over to your home, and how can you minister to them? Bring them over to your house or your dorm room, wherever you are, you can practice hospitality. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for welcoming us into your household through the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, for adopting us as your beloved children and giving us a home in heaven. And we thank you for blessing us with a family of, of brothers and sisters in Christ who will fellowship with us and who will help care for us. And we thank you for the opportunity to minister to them as well. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Would you help us to make our, our home a haven for fellow disciples of Jesus Christ? Help us to use our home to bless and encourage one another so that we could persevere in the faith. We ask that you do this work through your spirit and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.